So they flew over to the bank and were back in a couple of minutes. They dropped the life ring back down and it landed again in Arlen's hand. And Arlen threw the life ring to somebody else. This would happen one more time. The life ring fell into Arlen's hands once again and again he handed it to somebody else. The third time, the same thing. The fourth time, there was no opportunity. It was too late. By that time, the helicopter returned and dropped the life ring. Arlen had disappeared below the surface of the water. In a 2007 article written by about Arlen's Williams sacrifice appeared in the Men's Health magazine. After recounting the Williams story, the author of the article asked, why would anyone put the lives of strangers ahead of their own? He couldn't even see the faces of the people he was saving because they were on the opposite side of the wreckage, yet he made the sacrifice for them that even maybe their best friends would refuse to make. The concept of heroism and self-sacrifice puzzled the writer. Why would somebody die for someone he didn't know? And I think you know where the story goes. But he tries to analyze it scientifically, and then he concludes, extreme heroism springs from something that no scientific theory can fully explain. It's illogical impulse that flies in the face of of biology, psychology, actual statistics, and basic common sense. In almost all cases, humans will only try to survive for themselves. Almost in all cases, humans will try to survive and save themselves. Most people have a humanistic view of life, humanistic doesn't have all the answers, or humanism doesn't have all the answers for why Arlen Williams gave up the life ring. His heroism doesn't make sense within the humanistic framework, but his acts make perfect sense within a Christian understanding of the world. In a Christian understanding of the world, we see his act through the lens of the words of Jesus Christ, who said, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life. For a friend, a Christian's worldview sees self-sacrifice as a highest act of love. A Christian's worldview of self-sacrifice sees it as the highest act of love. We arrive at this view by listening to Jesus' words and also by seeing Jesus' example. In spite of the many conversations that with Jesus, the religious leaders, they do not understand him. They cannot figure him out, and Jesus makes it simple every time. He summarizes what he is doing and why he came. Jesus gave up heaven to give us heaven. Jesus gave up heaven to give us heaven. Heaven came down so that glory would fill our souls. Jesus had just spoke to them again. And remember that the word again is to reflect back on what he had previously said about the first I am. This is the second I am. We talked about it last week. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So let's read John 8, 
13 through 30, keeping in mind that heaven has come down for us. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. You yourself, your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. <clears throat> you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law <clears throat> that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then he said to them, then they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answers, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words were spoken, uh, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him. For his hour had not yet come. And this is another instance where uh, it's the perfect will of God is only going to be completed when it's time. Jesus says it again. He escapes their grip once more all through here. But he continues to talk to them. Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And let me back up here. Yep. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you can't come? It's a weird statement right in the middle of all this. And then he said to them, you are from beneath and I am from above. You are from this world and I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you go, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And let me just tell you right here, if you're a non-Christian in here tonight and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins. And there you will be the rest of your life. Then he, then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak the world, I speak to the world those things which I hear from him. They did not understand, and he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I am. Do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that pleases him. Jesus always does the will of the father. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. This short section of scripture is packed with the gospel message. Christ truly was God, but he gave up everything to become a slave. He left heaven, and he became like one of us. Christ was humbled. He obeyed God and even died on the cross, and he would be going back to heaven again. All of that is right there in this, these short verses between 13 and 30. 
You know, and I think for sure that the Pharisees looked at Jesus and thought, this guy was crazy. This guy is a lunatic. I mean, that one little sentence in there, they thought he was going to kill himself. I mean, where could he go? I mean, so I think they really thought he was crazy. And who really wouldn't think that if Jesus was to show up today and see you face to face, and he was to tell you all these things that he was telling these Pharisees, what would you do? Would you believe in Jesus? I think that you probably wouldn't. Because there's something that we know nowadays that they didn't know in those days. But if they would have been paying attention, they would have known. We have the scripture. We can read the scripture. We know everything there is to know about Jesus. So for one, Jesus would never show up now and see us face to face, would he? Because it's not time yet. Now, we may meet him face to face in the sky one of these days, but he's never going to come back to this earth and meet us face to face because the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus is God. It's revelation to man. We know this because the scripture tells us. We have the evidence, and we can look at it, and we can decide whether to believe or to reject Jesus. They also had the same evidence in front of them if they would have read their scriptures. I was witnessing to a lady the other day at Walmart, of all places. I pulled in to the Walmart area where you can load up the, the mulch, and I was loading my mulch up, and her lady pulled up in front of me, and she was just sitting in her car. And I, So I went and knocked on her window, and I said, which one of these mulches are you waiting to get? She said, the brown mulch. And I said, well, just pop the deal and I'll load it for you. So as I was loading it, I, I, I went through the deal. You know, she said, well, these Walmart people won't come out and load nothing for you. And I said, well, because of Jesus Christ who lives in me, I'm willing to do it for you. And, and then I had this gospel conversation with, with her, and she said, well, I'm a, I'm a Jew, and we don't see things the same way. And that made me think today when I was writing my sermon down. We don't think the same way because you probably haven't read the same scriptures that I've read about who Jesus is. Because the Old Testament is full of scriptures that helps point us to Jesus Christ. And as a Jew, you would have all of these references right there in front of you. I asked one of my Jewish friends and found out that the best way for a Jewish person, because I was... I was kind of, I was out of my element, really, when I was speaking to this Jewish person about Jesus. They didn't want nothing to, they didn't want to hear it. So I, call, I called a friend and I asked him, I said, well, what, what should I do the next time? He said, well, it's, it's a lengthy process because they need to read Isaiah. More specifically, they need to read Isaiah 53. But it's not only there that they will learn about Jesus. They'll learn about Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. If they'll just go to the Psalms, they'll go to Psalms 102 and start reading there. It starts out with this right here. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cries come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. And he answers in in verse 18 there of Psalms 102, uh, actually 18 through 20. It says, "Let this be a re- let this be recorded for the generations to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord." Listen to that. Let the record for the generations to come, so that the people yet to be created—that was me and you—praise the Lord that He looked down from His holy heights from heaven. The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. Thank God 
that Jesus looked down from the portals of heaven and decided to come to save a wretch like me. He looked down from heaven and he's seen us and he came to save us. He came for us and it's, it's the start of the gospel message. Jesus came from heaven. If, if you sing the song, From Heaven to Earth, it, has, it starts right there. This is the gospel according to Jesus. Jesus came from heaven. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, we just studied that not too long ago when we was talking about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. When Jesus gave the first I am statement, he said it right there. He was from heaven. It's the first gospel truth that we learn in the I am statements. And, and in John five fifty eight, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds from this bread will live forever. This statement tells us that Jesus is the one who sustains and nourishes our spiritual life. Jesus came from heaven. Heaven came down. And when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, he told these things. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? They've been reading the books. They should have known. They should have been. And it's pretty clear. If you go read Isaiah 53, it's pretty clear that they're talking about Jesus who died on the cross. They should have known it. Nicodemus was being drawn. He knew something was going on with this man because he said that nobody could do the things you do unless they have God in them. So Nicodemus knew a little bit, but he was, he was missing the truth that was right in front of us. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how, Will you believe if I tell you things of the heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. You know, Jesus is making, a, making his own, own little prophecy right here, isn't he? He said, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended. So he was telling Nicodemus, I'm going to go back to heaven one of these days here pretty soon. Because he says, the son of man. He adds that little nugget there at the end to say who has done it. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have life eternal. Jesus repeated that same thing. It's right there. This speaks the same thing that we just read in John 8. It's the exact same thing. Jesus is from heaven. He's going to return to heaven one day. He will be lifted up to die, and the ones who believe will have eternal life. Heaven came down. Jesus came down from heaven as the only begotten son on a mission to be, the, to be as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, to bring salvation to mankind. That quote right there come out of a Latter-day Saint's book and they don't even believe that jesus died on the cross for their sins they don't believe in the same jesus that we believe in we've got missionaries out there right now and if you want to go out on a mission trip and witness to a bunch of lds people you, that's church of latter-day saints they're not slow or something don't think that they're ignorant or lds stands for latter-day saints 
But you can go on a mission trip with Bryce coming up pretty soon. Go out there and see how it is to witness to these people. They'll tell you about who Jesus is, and they'll tell you that they've got the Bible is one of their four books that they read from. But they don't actually read it, they say. Bryce witnessed to, to person after person. We, we spoke extensively about his, his time out there, and he was talking about how, how, they, how they would witness to him, and he would say, here's the problem. Your Jesus is not the same as my Jesus. But they say in some of their books and some of their writings, that come out of one of their writings, it sounds like it comes right out of the Bible, but it doesn't. But I'll tell you what First Peter, I'll read that statement again. It says, Jesus came down from heaven as the only begotten son. I believe that. And he was on a mission. I believe that as well. And I believe that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. I believe that God knew he was going to have to send his son to die before the earth was ever created. That's what that statement means, to bring salvation to all mankind. I believe every word of that. First Peter 1, 18 through 20 says it this way, knowing that you were ransomed from the, the futile ways of, that were inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you. Through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. I believe Jesus came down from heaven. I believe that he is the only begotten son. I believe he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world to bring salvation to all mankind. And then Jesus says this to him. He's talking to the Pharisees still. And this, is, this comes out of our, our section in John 8. And it says, Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, he was talking about him being crucified, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me to do. I speak these things, and it is he who has sent me. He is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. You know, Rob talked this shortly the other day about about uh, about losing your salvation, that it can never be lost. If you're truly saved, you can never lose your salvation. And this is one of the things that he was pointing out because he says Jesus always does the things that please, pleases the Father. Somebody asked me, I was talking to a kid on, on Monday night over at, at Hope is Alive in Claremore, and, and he says, I, I, I want to do this but I'm not sure that that's what God wants me to do. And I said, well, what's God's will? And he says, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know what God's will for me is. And I said, God's will for you is for you to obey him. That's all God's will is. There's no secret, secret mystery about God's will. You just need to obey God. And if you obey God, then God will give you the desires of your heart. And that's what's really neat about, about this whole thing of Jesus. He says, I always do the things that please him. Well, I wish I could say that. I wish I could have always had said that about my life. But he spoke those words, and many believed in him. The Pharisees, they did not believe in Jesus. They did not want to believe in Jesus. They, they, didn't, they thought he was a liar. 
They believed that Jesus was a liar. They thought he was demon-possessed. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was going to kill himself. And when you don't believe in that somebody is telling you the truth, you believe them to be a liar. You know what the number one reason that's given for lying? You know what the number one reason is? I want you to think about this for just a second after I tell you what it is. People will lie so that they will not get punished. Now think about this in the context of who Jesus is. According to the most studies about lying, the number one reason is to avoid punishment. But Jesus didn't lie. Jesus couldn't lie. And Jesus told them straight up. Jesus always told the truth that they would that he would be lifted up and that he would die for the sins of man, that he would give his life in the place of ours to pay a debt for our sins that was owed to God by man. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned every one of us, one to his own way, and the Lord has laid him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb. He was led to the slaughter like a sheep before the shears. He was silent, so he opened not his mouth by oppression and by judgment. He was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off and out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. He gave himself freely. Jesus didn't lie. He wasn't trying to avoid punishment. He told the truth so that he could go to a cross freely and die for your sins. He was, on the contrary, he was telling the truth. He was freely facing punishment for just speaking what was true. And that's why the truth will set you free. Desmond Doss, you may know who this is, is credited with saving 75 soldiers during one of the bloodiest battles during World War II in the Pacific. He did it without ever carrying a weapon. The battle at Hacksaw Ridge on the island of Okinawa was a, a close combat fight with heavy weaponry. Thousands of Americans and, and Japanese soldiers were killed here. And the fact that Doss survived the battle to save so many lives has confounded all of those who know his story. He's the, the subject of a film called Hacksaw Ridge. Some of you may have seen it. Hey, he was a quiet little skinny boy from Lynchburg, Virginia. And Doss was a Seventh-day Adventist who, who wouldn't touch a weapon or work on the Sabbath. He enlisted in the Army as a combat medic because he believed in the cause. But he vowed not to kill. The Army wanted nothing to do with him. He just wanted to fit into the Army model and do what good soldiers would do, says Terry Benedict. He's the guy that wrote the documentary, actually, about uh, Doss's life called The, the Conscientious Objector. And, and the army made Doss's life a, a living, literal, literally living hell during his training. It started out with just harassment, and then it got to the point to where he would be praying at night, and they would throw shoes at him. It got to the point to where it was abusive. And Benedict says in an interview during the World War II veteran where in Doss's, where he was in Doss's battalion, they considered him to be a pest. 
They, they questioned his sincerity, and, and like I said, they threw shoes at him. They, they thought he was a slacker, someone who, who shouldn't have been allowed in the army, and somebody who was their weakest link in the chain. And Doss's commanding officer, Captain Jack Glover, tried to get him transferred in, 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 the, in the documentary. Uh, Glover says, Doss told him this right here. Don't ever doubt my courage, because I will be right by your side, saving your life while you are taking others' lives. And Glover responded to him, you're not going to be by my side if you're not going to have a gun. But hard as they tried, the army couldn't force Doss to use a weapon. In 1940, uh, the law uh, allowed conscientious objectors to serve in the war effort as non-combatant positions. So Doss went in to his company as a medic in the Pacific Theater. And at Okinawa in the spring of 1945, Doss's company faced a grueling task, climbing a steep, jagged cliff. Sometimes they said they would call it Hacksaw Ridge. It was a plateau where thousands of heavily armed Japanese soldiers were waiting for them, and the terrain was treacherous. It was full of holes that they, the Japanese had dug tunnels and everything underground. And the Japanese themselves called it the rain of steel because of all of the iron that was flying around during the battles. Under a barrage of gunfire and explosion, Doss, he crawled on to the ground. He crawled on the ground from wounded soldier to wounded soldier. He would drag the severely injured men to the edge of the ridge. He would tie a rope around their waist, and he would lower them down the side. There were other medics waiting below. In the documentary, Doss says, I was praying the whole time. I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get one more, just one more. Those words remind me of, of one of the pastors of a big church out in Saddleback, California, the Purpose Driven Church. You know who that is? Rick Warren. Rick Warren's dad laid on his deathbed, and he said the same thing. If I could just save. If I could just help save one more, one more. Veteran Carl Bentley, who was also at Hacksaw Ridge, says in the documentary, it's as if God had his hand on Doss's shoulder. It's the only explanation I can give. Doss saved 75 men, including, the, including Captain Jack Glover, over a 12-hour period. The same soldier who had, sh- had been shamed Now they are praising him. He's one of the bravest persons alive, Glover says in the documentary. And then to have him end up saving my own life was the irony of the whole thing. The particulars of Doss's heroism sound something from the New Testament. He repeatedly exposed himself to the enemy to save the next one that he could. Jesus came. And he defeated the enemy to save all. He came to seek and to save all the lost. He came from heaven as God. He lived a sinless life and he gave his life and he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and and he defeated death and he rose from the grave. And he ascended back into heaven to God the Father who set him down at his right hand. And he is waiting for the day for his father to tell him, 
go get my children. Tonight, the question is, are you ready for Jesus to come down from heaven? Because this time, he is coming to rule and to reign over this earth. And if you're a born-again believer, then you should be ready. You should be ready for his return. If you're not, then let heaven come down and let glory fill your soul tonight. The first time he came, he defeated death. The next time he comes, it's to defeat his enemies and set up his earthly kingdom where he will reign and rule for a thousand years. So tonight, believe in Jesus. Believe that he came. Believe that he lived. Believe that he died for you so that you would have eternal life. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for your words tonight. We thank you that you came down from heaven, that you lived this life on earth that we could not possibly live, but you've done it, and you've done it sinlessly. You've done it perfectly. And then you took it upon yourself to die for the sins that we have racked up in our own lives and the ones that we will rack up in the future. You went to the cross and died for those sins. We thank you that you've done that. We thank you that you were buried and that you rose again from the grave, defeating death once and for all. And we thank you that you're in heaven interceding for us right now on our behalfs to God the Father. Jesus, I, I pray that you intercede tonight for the one who's lost, that they will, they will give their life to Jesus. That they would believe in, in your life, in your death, in your resurrection, and they would believe that you're going to come again one of these days and take us to a, a place called heaven because we believe in you. Father, if there's one here tonight, just let them be brave and step forward to give their life to Christ. But let us Christians be prepared for your second coming, Father. Let us not get caught doing things that we shouldn't be doing, but get caught doing things we should be doing, like living for you, Father. We love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name. The altars are open tonight.